Today's episode is arguably the most important episode that I've recorded so far with the Curious Neuron podcast. Um, it's about body safety and consent and how we can speak to our children about this in order to protect them from any possible situations they might be in later on or even when they're young. It might be a trigger for some of you or uncomfortable to listen to at some parts. However, it really is important for us to start talking about this a little bit more, and that is why I wanted to cover this. Welcome to episode 29 of the Curious Neuron Podcast. Welcome to the Curious Neuron Podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Huffington, and I'm the founder and your host. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of Curious Neuron. My name is Cindy and I'm your host and I am happy that you are joining me today because like I said at the beginning, it's an important episode. If you are enjoying listening to the Curious Neuron podcast, please take a moment to review it and to leave a rating on iTunes. It's really important and it lets us know that you care and that you are enjoying the episode. I would also love to hear from you. You can email me at info at curiousneuron.com. Let me know if you're enjoying the topics or if there's a topic you'd like me to cover. If you're enjoying the weekly episodes now, just come say hi if you want. Before we get into the interview with my guest, I wanted to share something because it seemed to get a lot of um, likes in uh, on Instagram and something had happened with my two kids and I thought it was an interesting story to share with you because we might be in these situations this summer and we don't realize that some everyday situations become learning um, events I guess to teach our kids skills such as social emotional skills. What happened is that I brought my two kids, my two older kids, to McDonald's to get a little ice cream. Um, it was one of the warmest days we'd had so far. And in the afternoon, I, I brought them um, for a little treat. And the um, person at the window, at the drive through window, saw that I had two young kids and she was giving me three fairly large ice cream cones. Um, they were really nice that day and gave a little extra ice cream, I think. Um, and... She noticed the kids were there, so she recommended that I took uh, an empty cup so that if the ice cream started melting, I would have a place to put them. And I said, you know what? That's a brilliant idea. So she gave two cones and then I gave those to my kids. And as she was giving me my cone, she flipped it in into the transparent cup. And I, <laughs> I, I felt almost like a toddler where I, I just wanted to get mad at that moment because I was driving. I couldn't eat my cone now <laughs> and my kids were there with me and I decided to use this moment as a teaching opportunity. So we left, you know, we left um, McDonald's and I parked in the driveway in the parking lot and said to my two kids who are three and five, mommy is super disappointed right now. And they said, why? I said, well, you know, I can't eat my ice cream now because she flipped it upside down. And part of me really wants to be mad and scream or get upset because I, I really, really wanted this. And now I have to drive home, which it's, you know, about a eight minute drive. But it's long enough that it possibly might melt or it's not the same. And I, I really wanted to enjoy it as we drove back home. And they kind of looked at me and thought it was interesting because 
I was expressing how a situation made me feel frustrated. I was using this to model that we do get frustrated sometimes. And then I said, what I'm going to use to help me not feel so upset and and to calm myself down is the fact that she did it to help me. She didn't want me to get upset. And then I used a situation of, you know, remember when mommy did this and I I didn't want you to be upset when I used the blue cup instead of the gray the green cup. Um I was doing it to give you water or milk and sometimes somebody's trying to help us and they don't realize that it's not necessarily the way that we want it. And I was happy that I brought this up because, believe it or not, their ice cream started melting (laughs) when we were um, just arriving at home. The heat, I guess, got to the ice cream and it just started pouring down their hands after we stepped out of the car and they flipped their ice cream into the cup and they didn't want to. They really, really didn't want to. And my three-year-old said to me, you know, mommy, I'm, I'm really mad because I was enjoying my cone and I like licking it off the cone. But I see now that she helped us. And that was a really uh, proud moment. <laughs> I guess it's one of those um, moments that you realize that the more we speak about certain things and something that seemed so small where I was disappointed because I couldn't eat it. But I didn't have to explain that moment to my children. But if we really take the time to observe these moments and realize that there are so many moments, you know, somebody who cuts us off or does something or doesn't open a door when our arms are filled with bags and we can't even open the door. Those small moments that are frustrating or disappointing are helping our children see that we also experience these emotions and we are showing our children how we navigate these emotions. If we are screaming or swearing at the person for cutting us off or not holding the door for us, that is what we are showing them. But if we tell them, you know, I'm super disappointed, we might say something to that person or whatever it is, then that's what we're modeling for them. And I thought I would share this um, story with you because maybe you'll have an upside down ice cream one day <laughs> this summer and take that moment to have these discussions with your kids um, because then they'll be able to apply it when the situation happens to them. And hopefully that upside down ice cream was not meant for your child because <laughs> then you'll really have to have the discussion with them and uh, good luck. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about today's topic, which is about body consent and safety, you could visit curiousneuron.com and there's a search bar at the beginning or the top of the website And you can just search um, body consent or safety and it'll bring you to the blog post that today's guest wrote. Our guest today is Janine Sanders. She's an author and has written so many books that are valuable and important for children. I have some of them in my home and I love that she will add questions that we can ask our children in these books so that we can start the conversation. If you are uncomfortable with today's topic and are uncomfortable with talking about body parts or body safety and consent with your child, I really recommend her books that you could find on Amazon, both in Canada and in the States. And I think you can find them on her website. You can visit uh, my website and click on podcast. um, And today's episode, which is episode 29, will give you all the resources to link to her website 
um, that you can get freebies as well, free posters that you could put up either in your home or your daycare or your school, your preschool. You could put it up in grandma and grandpa's house, in aunts and uncle's houses if you want. Um, I think that these posters are really important for children and provide us with a great way to start the discussion with them. What I love about Janine Sanders is not only is she an early childhood educator, so she understands how to speak to children and how to talk to these children about these topics, um, but she also has such passion for this subject and has taken the time to create so many resources that will help us and that will protect our children. And I'm so grateful that she accepted to speak with me today. She has collaborated with me on Instagram and has written a blog post for our website. You can follow her on Instagram at Janine Sanders Author. And you can also find all the resources on the Educate to Empower website. And before we move on to the interview, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at the Neuro here in Montreal. The Neuro is the first health sciences institution in the world to commit to open science, an approach to research that ensures scientific knowledge is shared widely and transparently. This is exactly what we do here at Curious Neuron, um, knowledge translation and bringing you the science behind parenting and child development is, is what's important and our goal. Uh, and I'm grateful that they have sponsored our podcast Please enjoy my interview with the author, Janine Sanders. My guest today is Janine Sanders. Hi, Janine. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So as I said in the intro, you are an early childhood educator, from what I understand, and you are, you're also an author. And that is why I'm so excited to speak to you today about the topic that you specialize in, because... I came across the Educate to Empower website um, a couple months ago, and I was blown away by the amount of information that is on this website, these free posters for parents, and then I came across your books. Um, and when it comes to body safety and consent, I, I really think that most parents need guidance, and that's why your books um, are a perfect way for parents to do this. My goal of our conversation today is that Perhaps we can offer parents this sort of recipe or this sort of, you know, game plan so that they could start the conversation around body safety and consent. Um, before we get into the conversation, I'd love to understand a bit more about your background and your uh, experience with uh, children and how that led to the books. I've always been an educator and I've always been a writer. I write children's educational readers, actually, for Capstone. Um, and so about 10 years ago, I was chatting to my neighbour next door and she was telling me, she's in her 80s, and she was telling me that she was sexually abused as a child and that her son and her daughter were sexually abused by her husband for as long as they can remember. And she said to me, whatever we do, we need to actually uh, educate children before the fact because yeah. once they're in that perpetrator's web, it becomes really very complex in the it, you know, they, they love their uncle or dad or um, sports coach, but they're doing these things to them and they really have a lot of guilt and shame and it's very complex. But prevention, as we will discuss, is incredibly easy. It's age appropriate. Mm. So we had this conversation and I thought, wow, it lit a passion in me because I love teaching children I, and I want to protect them. I'm not mm. a survivor myself. 
but I do have a very loud voice. So I decided that this was something that I could really take on board. So I went to my kids' school and I said, oh, we should be doing more body safety education. Like we teach road safety, we teach water safety. You know, we need to be teaching body safety because one in five girls and one in eight boys will be sexually abused before they're 18. So, you know, any teacher looking in your class, there are going to be kids in there who will be sexually abused. And I think the percentage is 95% of them will know the perpetrator. So they're in our homes, they're in our communities, they're grooming us, they're grooming Mm -hmm. children, they groom both. So I went to the school council, I said, let's do this. And I kept being put to the bottom of the agenda. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Nobody wanted to hear me. (laughs) So I went home one particular night and I said to my husband, I'm going to use my writing skills. I'm going to write a book that will approach this subject age appropriately. And then maybe someone will listen to me. So that was the first book I wrote, which was Some Secret Should Never Be Kept, which is sort of a fairy tale setting. It's timeless but it, it has a very important message. Now, we couldn't get a publisher for this book, so we took out a loan and we published it ourselves. Wow. And we, the third illustrator said yes. Thank goodness it was him because Craig Smith's amazing. So then I thought, okay, we have a book, but we need lessons around this book. We need to have an introduction to this topic. We need to read the book. We need to reinforce the topic. So then I started to build resources around that. And that was the beginning of the journey. Then I started to see more of a need for, you know, purely consent and then the skills of body safety and then gender equality because it's all about gender equality, one gender thinking they have power over another. And then I thought about social emotional intelligence because empathy, like people who abuse children, do they have empathy, you know? And so it kind of all works together. And I just write books where I feel there's a space, where I've got something I want to say, where there's something I need to teach children. And then I'm fortunate enough to be able to write in a kind of child's voice. And that's why I do the books I do. And why my husband and I have this small publishing company. And then I, I also, um, I love to provide free resources because not everyone can afford books, you know. And um, even that poster, My Body Safety Rules, which has um, been translated into 17 languages, which is free to download for anyone, even that, going through those rules with your child, putting that on the refrigerator or in a prominent place, sends a very clear message to perpetrators, this child in this home is educated to tell. So they're going to go, okay, back off. Because the main thing, Cindy, is their currency is secrets. They want children to keep secrets. So if children don't and they know to tell, they're not going to go near those kids. I love that that's your approach to this. It's it's the empowering aspect to empower the children and to to give them that sort of knowledge you know because if we kind of close our eyes you know this is not going to make it go away it's not going to go away and the only way that a parent can protect their child at this point is just to give them that 
information and to, to empower them that way. And I love that you do have those free resources so that any parent, any teacher, any educator could put it, like you said, print it, put it on your wall, put it on your fridge and, you know, use that not only to guide your conversation, but that, like you said, it's such a high percentage of 95% of the perpetrators being known by this by the child. They will see that they are powerful children that will, you know, <laughs> stand their ground. <laughs> And also, I think what we really need to do as parents is also, and teachers is educate ourselves around this topic, know what a grooming looks like, know the statistics, because it's actually not a child's responsibility to protect themselves, but it is our responsibility to provide them with the skills just in case. It's a bit like wearing a seatbelt. We hope they never, ever have to use that, that seatbelt, but it's there just in case there is an accident. So, you know, parents, teachers, educate yourself. And like we said before we began this conversation, don't let your fear of this topic put your yes. child at risk. I mean, like you said, it's not going to go away. Face it head on, use age-appropriate materials, talk in an age-appropriate manner, and you will empower your children. You will not frighten them. You will empower How them. How does a parent begin this conversation with their child at what age and and what would you say is the first step to, to starting this entire conversation okay so body safety and consent kind of go hand in hand let's go back to gender equality too so as soon as you know what gender child you're having don't put them in the box <laughs> don't put them in the girl box pink don't put them in the boy box blue because you're limiting their potential so straight away Treat them in a kind of more of a gender neutral, whatever you like, whatever you like to wear, give them choices, you know, give them wooden blocks for girls, wooden blocks for boys, dolls for boys, dolls for girls. Give them choices so their potential is not limited. And model this in the home. Then as soon as they're born, you can you can't actually ask for consent in a way because I can't speak, but you can tell them what you're doing. Okay, so I'm now going to put on your singlet. Um, now I'm going to put on your shoes. Talk to them like mm -hmm. they have rights. They are a person. They're not just an object, that they are a little being with rights. Then once they start to speak, you can talk a bit more about consent. You can start saying you have a body bubble. It's invisible, but it doesn't mean it's not there. And people can't just step inside your body bubble. This is your personal yeah. space. So you can start to teach them those ideas of consent which can cause some problems in homes because they might say, go and give your auntie a kiss. And the little person, you probably had this too. I know that I yes. was made to kiss my uncle and I really didn't want to. That says, if you say, go and kiss your uncle, and the child's like, no, I'd really re rather give them a high five or bump elbows or mm -hmm. blow them a kiss if I know them well. But if you make them do as you say, it, it's telling them their voice doesn't matter, that their rights don't matter. And this is very dangerous when there are perpetrators around because perpetrators, like, you got to do what I say. I'm the big person. you got to do what I say. So you've got to be able to respect their boundaries and say, and I know this is hard. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> Can I have it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Now. The answer mm -hmm. to that question is, of course, your child, you want to hug your child. 
Of course you do. And of course, they probably most likely want to hug you as well. But it's not about your needs. Sometimes they don't want to hug you. And I have my third daughter, Isabel. She has never been affectionate. And it breaks my heart because I love hugs and kisses. But I have to respect that. That is Isabel. And we we have other love languages. We walk together. She rings me all the time. We talk. They're in their 20s, my daughters. So you need to respect that. Now, also, when children are disabled, they're 2.6 times more likely to be sexually abused because people come inside their body bubble all the time, medical professionals, et cetera. So, you know, and sometimes you need time out. Sometimes you don't want to be always getting lots of hugs and kisses. So they should really be asking you as well. Now, in saying that, I have heard on a podcast, which I thought was really good advice, is that if this really worries you, that you can make a social story with your child and you can work out the people in the child's sphere that they are very happy that hugs and kisses are given and there is consent is known. But just keeping in mind that because disabled kids are with health professionals all the time, you know, they they can't just take a hug from that health professional and, and the health professional just can't come inside their body boundary. So they've got to say, you know, can I touch your tummy? Can I look at your, um, you know, look at your arm or dentist, may I look inside your mouth? So we should be asking our health professionals to consider consent around our children as well. So I think now if you do this when children are little, and I know it's tough, when they are teenagers, they know what consent is, and this is really important. These are like when they're little, it's the foundation skills. So as they go into teenagerhood, they know people need to ask, can I kiss you? Can I hug you? Do you want to have sex with me? Like they know you have to ask. Now, if you've set that up when they're little, an empowered little person who knows about consent is an empowered teenager, is an empowered adult. Um, We don't want so much sexual assault of our young people as we are seeing right now. It's just going on and porn is a big factor in there because porn is no consent, nothing. So we, you know, we need to be the educators before they get to older and porn starts educating. And as a parent, you know, you you might not even think about all that happening as a, in the teenage years. You know, you you might say, "Oh, my child's only one. I don't have to worry about that. I have many years to come." I, you know, but it, you're right. It's it's those small steps when they're young, even just a toddler. And I love that you said that it's about us and it's not about our needs as a parent or as the adult around that children. It's about the child and what they're learning in that empowerment. Um, because, you know, when we posted about this on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, the feedback I got was, but, you know, hugging and kissing is respect. When you are greeting somebody, when you arrive somewhere, when you're going to see grandma and grandpa, you have to give a hug and a kiss. It's part of cultures. It's part of, you know, our society in terms of saying hi and bye for some of us. Um, and my response to that was exactly that, you know, it's, we, uh, even as adults, we might not be in the mood to, to see somebody or say hi or hug or, and we get the, we get the, we are able to say no 
but our children should be able to say no as well. And it's not that they're being disrespectful. You can say hi or bye, as you said, a high five, a blowing a kiss, a wave. Yeah, there are so many ways. I mean, I'm not a grandmother yet. Maybe I will, maybe I won't one day. But were I a grandmother, I would much prefer that my grandchild really wanted to give me a hug or a kiss rather than my daughter saying, you know, give grandma a kiss and they're like, (laughs) You know, like, you know, I can say, yeah. oh, hello, can I have a hug? And they're just like, yes. And, like, that is so much more rewarding for me even as an adult than one that has to be forced. So I think, you know, we need to all take a step yeah. back. We need to all think about what we're teaching and modelling. I think modelling when they're young is incredibly important in the home, modelling between mm-hmm. partners and consent and respect. I mean, kids will will do what they say. In terms of our conversation with our child, you you do speak about talking about private parts. Um, I have two questions Mm. around that. So, you know, how do we do that with our children? And also the word or the term private parts. Somebody had said that we shouldn't be saying private parts. You know, we should stick to just genitals, penis, vagina, whatever it is, but not even using the word private parts. So what what is the, what should we know as parents? Okay, so private parts for me is talking to children about private and public. So private is for you. So these genitals with the correct names, are they're yours. They belong to you. And nobody should touch them without mm-hmm. your permission, without asking your consent. So that's where private comes in. Now, we want our kids to enjoy a healthy sex life later on, so we don't want to shame them in any way. But, you know, just like we can say nose, hand, we can say vulva, we can say penis. It's really easy. If you're finding it difficult, just practice. It's not so hard. But what happens is that if a child is touched inappropriately, it will not stand up in a court of law if they say cookie or willy. It just won't happen. So, and there's another thing. If you use the correct names and the child comes up to their teacher and says, my uncle touched my cookie, and the teacher goes, well, okay, no problem, just get another cookie or something. But if the child comes up and says, my uncle touched my vulva, everyone's going to go, whoa, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Now, the other thing is if they are touched inappropriately by a perpetrator and the child says, oh, you can't touch my vulva, the perpetrator is going to go, oh, wow, educated child. Good point. Knows what's going on. I'm in trouble here. Like this kid's going to tell. So um, I think that is a very important point to use the correct terms. And um yeah, I I have it in all my books using the correct terms and I just wish yeah. people would because it's really not that hard and I find it easy, children find it easy. They'll only go a bit and silly True. if you are, yeah. but if you're not, then it's fine. And you can say to them in private, in the bath or in the um, bedroom if you have your bedroom to yourself, you mm-hmm. can touch your private parts. That's okay. They're yours. Um and, you know, it feels good sometimes to touch your private part, so that's okay. But as we said bef- uh, before we started, if there is excessive touching of the private parts, like it's just constant and doesn't stop, then that to me is a red flag. That is a red flag that they are ma- maybe 
being interfered with if they're constantly rubbing their genitals. Yeah. So a lot of questions Big come up around that. Really. So first, um, you taught you you spoke about touching themselves. How does a parent navigate this if there are siblings involved? So you know, young two young children. If we give them all their baths together, because it's just simpler. Um, if they're looking or if they're touching, would the same rule apply? Of you know consent and you know always make sure that we you ask and you know these are your private parts that sort of conversation yeah yeah absolutely there would be consent involved but it's quite normal for children very close in age one to two years to and young to be exploring what it is to be uh, a boy or a girl or um have those those genitals and they're going to be exploring that but again it is their private part we've talked about the bubble so if you want to look at your brother's penis, you you have to ask. If you want to touch it, you have to ask. But I think I I think there should be no shame or guilt around it. It should be just an exploration. Mm. And that's okay. But then it stops. If it continues and there's a fascination, then you need to say, okay, I think we need to stop because these are our private parts. And you know, Scott doesn't really want you to keep doing this right now and he has that right so you know and and unpack things always have open conversations with your children don't go oh my god I don't know what to say (laughs) work out like okay um you're curious about private parts let's have a chat about that what would you like to know about yeah you know what what let's talk about this and you know and even when the mum is menstruating like explaining like this is what happens to women and this is what it what happens and you can explain to your sons because I mean we want a generation coming through that understand what women are going through it's not hidden away it's not shame it's not guilt this is part of our function so you know parents right now who might be listening to this they have such an opportunity to have this fantastic generation coming through that there is gender equality that there is more open conversations because it's the hidden stuff that becomes more dangerous. When things are out in the open and they're talked about, then I think that that is, um, it's not it's not secret, it's not behind closed doors, and I think children appreciate that openness conversation that you're not fr- afraid and to it, talk about. And the things. topics are not as taboo, right? <laughs> Because your child has been so used to to talking about their, their private parts and talking about consent and boundaries and all of that, then once the conversation happens out of the home or something happens, they're they're not going to be afraid of it. And if they're curious or have a question, they won't be afraid to ask you because this has been a conversation they've been having with you for so long at that point. And they won't be afraid to tell you if something goes wrong, if someone touches you inappropriately. You are their safe person. You're the person, what we call them, their Mm -hmm. safety network, a group of three to five trusted adults they could tell anything to and they would be believed. In the past, and I hope this is changing, but when I started this journey 10 years ago, the statistic was a child would have to tell three people, three adults before one of them would believe them. Now, do you know how much courage that takes for adults to tell about sexual assault, let alone a child feeling brave enough to say, this was done to me by my sports coach or my my auntie or uncle, like that takes an incredible amount of bravery. If someone turns around and goes, no, 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 couldn't be. They're such yeah. a nice person. That can't be possible. They're no. never going to tell again. And believe me, from the from the survivors who contact me through this work, so many of them say to me, if only I'd known from that first inappropriate touch that it was wrong, 
my whole life would be different. It would be mm. completely different. It's, if they need to know that people just can't do this and take and come inside your body boundary or touch you or show you pictures. Or themselves. Or themselves or get you to touch them as well. And that's why also the mouth yeah. is a private part. So really and truly we need to have these conversations in order to protect children. Can you elaborate a little bit more on your network, your safety network that you've mentioned? Um, what, who is part of that network? How does a parent decide who is part of that network? And, and what's the conversation we have with our child? Okay, so there's some very set skills in body safety. So first of all, we start with talking about feelings, what it feels like to feel sad or unhappy. It's really good for our boys to be talking particularly about their feelings. What it feels like to feel unsafe, because children often don't know what it feels like to feel unsafe. So we talk about that. Then we talk about all these early warning signs you get when you feel unsafe, like a sick tummy, sweaty brow, might want to go to the toilet, sticky hands. Then we talk about um, what we should do if these early warning signs come through because something's not right. So then we talk about a safety network. So we can outline their hands like this and they can draw a little picture and they can write the name of three to five adults that they trust, that they would believe them and that are accessible and you can um, write their name and they're the people in the safety network. Now, as a parent, you need to ask that person, is it okay if you're on my child safety network? and say it's a really great honour, so you should be honoured that you're on that safety network. And then they know that they can go to them if something's wrong because sometimes it might happen at school. So mum or dad aren't there, so they need to tell their teacher. So if the person's not there or they're not listening to them, they're distracted, which shouldn't happen, but they can go to someone else. That's their safety network. It's very, very important because that is the default. When If anything ever happens... That is the default. And then we talk about, which is a very important point, secrets and surprises. As I said, the currency of a perpetrator is secrets. So I'm tr- if I had children at that age now, I would be trying to get rid of secrets in the vocab. I'd be talking about happy surprises. Because happy surprises will always be told, like a birthday party or something. Secrets are a little bit different. That person, it could be kept for a very long time. They might ask you to keep a secret that makes you feel y- yicky or uncomfortable. So, and perpetrators will use this as a grooming technique. They will ask, you know, like they might give some a child some some sweets and say, "Now yeah. this is our secret. Don't tell your mum. You know, can you keep the secret? These are really <laughs> yummy sweets. And if the child can keep the secret, yeah, tick. If the child says, "Oh, I don't keep secrets." I, I can't keep secrets. I only keep happy surprises because they will be told. Then they will. Which goes back to the empowering. Yeah. Really yeah. empowering. It puts, it puts the power back yeah. in the ch- for the child. Because we can't be there with them 24-7. We want to. We? <laughs> we can't. And we yeah. want to. But don't, you know, going out into the world with skills is mm. really important. And, you know, when they do go to that sleepover and they're so excited, you know, that you know they're going out with, with skills. And I've got one little hint, actually. You should have a family safety word, like mm-hmm. uh, carrots. So if they ring you at a sleepover or something and they say carrots, you know to come and get them straight like away. So that's 
that's a really important little hint. I love that because well. they might be there and but, not feel comfortable for whatever reason, whether it's around somebody or just the entire situation, and they might not want to be embarrassed. And and if they're at a sleepover, they don't want to say, "You don't come and get me. I don't want to be here." So I love having that word. Their friends might wonder if they're hungry, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> at least the parent knows. Yeah, and the other thing is, um, off we know from statistics that when children are being sexually abused, they'll mm-hmm. often tell a friend. They might actually confide in a friend rather than an adult. So therefore, if your child knows about body safety, they'll know that this isn't right and that they need to they can yeah. tell their mum or dad or whoever's on their safety network. Um, yeah, so that's important as well. So it works both for their friend and themselves. Regarding the safety network, if a parent yeah. has experienced trauma or is a survivor, mm. I could only imagine that you don't trust anyone besides yourself how do you start creating that or even this whole this discussion that we're having how do you navigate discussions around private parts how do you decide who's on that safety network when you probably don't have the trust and you don't even want to speak about genital uh, private parts and genitals because of your own trauma how, how can a parent navigate that in my experience, a lot of survivors actually are desperate to mm. educate their children. So they really want tools to help them, hence why I have books yeah. in this space so that, you know, they can, a story is a great medium to its visual, children understand story, it unpacks it for them. I always have discussion questions to help the parent mm. unpack it, particularly mm. if it's traumatic for them. They can sort of refer back to the questions and focus on the book. So that, that's really important. Now, a safety network, um, one person in that safety work network should not be a family member. That gives a, That's very important as well. So, But it's also not their safety network. It's the child safety network. So they choose the people who are going okay, on their so safety network. The and right. sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sometimes teachers in particular have been incredibly surprised who didn't go on the safety network. And so that is often can be a little bit of an indicator too. Um, everybody assumes, oh, mom and dad, you know, your mom, stepdad, mm. whatever. But it's the child's choice. It's very important that it's the child's choice and that you kind of discuss it, but you wouldn't say, no, put your dad on. You need to put your dad on. Like you have to allow them that choice. And if if dad's not put on or mum's not put on, then that's that's mm. just the way it is. It comes back to like the hug, right? The hug and the kiss. As much as it might hurt, we're giving our child that power to decide who they'd like to tell. Autonomy and agency mm-hmm. from a young age. Now, for survivors, I think finding people to trust is difficult. But you can always say for the child, they could ring kids helpline too. We have a helpline here for kids. So that is a good one if if the child, and personally myself, like I, the adults in my life, I don't know who I would have actually had to put on my safety network. So that's why I always say three to five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a teacher may come out of your life, so you need to put another one on as mm-hmm. well. But in my experience, most survivors are very keen to um, educate the kids. And I think having that conversation could be triggering so using a book, using those materials is great. And also it's not about going, okay, today is body safety. Yeah. It will come up at different times. Little conversations will come up, use teaching moments. But a book 
can be a focus and um, I've done it in very clear steps, particularly the book My Body, What I Say Goes, so that it's easy for them to unpack and hopefully not triggering mm. but empowering because they know their child is being empowered where they were yeah, not, true. where all power was taken mm. away. I'm glad that it's coming back to your books because I think that this is a way that anybody, whether you've experienced trauma, whether you haven't and just have no idea how to do this, I think that they provide the steps that a parent can follow. And like you said, at least you don't have to put the words in your own mind. At least the words are there because you put them for us. <laughs> and and if, if your parent can't afford the book, then you just ask for it in your library mm-hmm. and they'll have to mm-hmm. get it. So I, I've had there. a couple of people say that and I've just said ask the library and if they don't have it, they should mm-hmm. get it. And also you can, as you said, go onto my website. There's lots of free resources there, um, particularly that poster is incredibly yeah. useful, even that. And I've given, we have a giving back page. So that's a page where, um, you know, you know when you're purchasing our books that you can act, we're actually giving back. So I provide teaching resource materials for Africa and books to the Philippines and to India and and, you know, those organisations have downloaded that poster. And I know, like in Nigeria, they just basically use that poster to teach from and sort of expand it themselves because they have so little resources. There are, as you said, quite a number of resources there, and I hope they're helpful. Our conversation so far has been focused on parents having this conversation with their children. But I received an interesting email that week that we collaborated on Instagram. It was a grandmother who felt that she needed to have this conversation with her granddaughter because the father or stepfather, she didn't clarify, was a known sex offender. How does, can can somebody who's not the parent have a conversation like this with their grandchild or their niece or nephew? Or is this just a topic for a mom or a dad to have? Look, if I if I were a grandma and I thought my child was living with a sex offender, I would most definitely have that conversation. Yeah. And um, because you you see, if you ask for permission, you're not going to get no. it. No, it's a sex offender. Yeah. And you ask your daughter who may be living with him, she's in love with him. She's not going to she's not going to have that conversation. And we know children in now, I think this is the statistic. It's absolutely horrifying. But children in a single-parent home where, you know, the mother might repartner or have different partners coming, um, I think they're 23 times more likely to be sexually abused because what's happening with t- um, dating apps and things is that um, they're targeting women with children and who are vulnerable and need help. And who were like, oh, my goodness, I'm so busy. And they're just this magic person who comes in and is so great with the kids and is always there to help. And, yeah, I I have one book which I would recommend all parents read called um, Body Safety Education. Mm -hmm. And it's a parent's guide to understanding um, teaching children's uh, body safety, but also the grooming to look out for and statistics as well. So I think that is part of educating yourself. And if you are in a more vulnerable position, then your children are as well. Yeah. If uh, if these particularly males, and they are often males, I don't like to be so gendered, yeah. but it's usually males, 
they are definitely targeting women with children. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. And they seem like just a blessing because they're there to help a busy mum. I, 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 but yeah, I, I would, if I was the grandmother, I would just, oh, I'm just reading a little book here. Let's have a chat. Now, the only thing is, when you do read these books with a child that you think is quite vulnerable and you may suspect sexual abuse is happening, you may get a disclosure. So there's also a part in that particular book, Body Safety Education, which outlines exactly what to do if you get a disclosure from a child. As I said, it takes a lot of um, courage. So you stay very calm. You don't look shocked or horrified. You ask that you tell them how brave they are, that you believe them, that you um, it was so incredibly brave, that you will try to get them as some help. But you never promise it's going to stop because mm. you can't promise that. You know, like that person can just come in and take that child away. I Yeah, I've had some instances where a child disclosed to me as a teacher and it didn't go well with the parents and they took that child out of the school. So there are very sad cases. Now, but the positive side is if you have torture child body safety, age appropriate, just like I said to you before, Cindy, if we teach road safety, we never show them graphic pictures of what happens if you're in a road accident. Same with water safety. Just like body safety, there is nothing graphic. There is nothing about the actual sexual abuse. It is all about empowerment. Your body is your body. If anyone touches your private parts, you can say no and stop. These are all what you're teaching, total empowerment. But it is there just in case. So on the positive note, I think it's better to give them some skills um, just in case. That's what I did with my kids. <laughs> I know that it's an uncomfortable you know, conversation. We've had it with our kids. My husband and I have had this conversation with our kids. And I think that once you get past that initial like, oh, I'm going to have to talk about these things with my kid and just that's, that feeling of uncomfortableness, I think once you do it for the first time with your child... Was it uncomfortable? It was the well the first time it was for me, but my you know, my husband's like, yeah, they're they're parts. It's like an arm. <laughs> and I did this a few years ago and then it was like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's just a body part. But then but then <laughs> at that time one of my my toddler happened to say the word around a family member. And that's when the family member was, oh, your child just said, you know, a bad word. And that's when I had to have the conversation with a family member. And I'm saying this because perhaps somebody out there listening might think that or might have experienced the same thing with their family members, where these are words you do not say. These are, are bad words. They're private words. But if if you're on a bicycle and the bicycle gets you right in between the leg, the legs, you will get hurt. You might get hurt in your genitals. You can say vulva, Cindy. You can say vulva. Yeah, vulva. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You can, if, but yeah, it's, it's, if it hits you there in the vulva or the penis, depending, you know, you can, it's okay for a child to say exactly where they were hurt. Oh. And I, I think that, you know, I think as a parent, you have to be ready for that conversation with people around you. If they're going to be upset that, that you're saying no, it's okay that your child doesn't hug them or kiss them. If they're going to be upset that your child is saying words that they're not comfortable with, I think as a parent, we have to also feel empowered when we have that conversation. And I think a lot of us, and I'm hoping, I mean, 
I'm an older generation, but I'm not uncomfortable about talking about sex. But some adults, I understand they are, but I've always been quite open about that. Hmm. So your private parts, they're not bad words. They're, they're your parts. They're just words. Like yes. they're great words when you, you know, maybe you're having a sexual relationship and you're telling a person exactly where you want to be touched. They're great words then, aren't they, right? So, um, and I think when you have family members who don't get this, you just have to say, on behalf of your child, remember, okay, we are teaching consent and we are teaching body safety in our home. That's what we're doing. If you want to learn more about it, I can tell you and show you some books exactly what we're doing, but these are the reasons why and that is what we're doing with our child and we're teaching them skills and they'll go into the world feeling so much more empowered when they're a teenager or an adult. So if you want to know more, Just come after me. I know all about it. <laughs> Read the books with me. <laughs> Some parents were a bit mm, not puzzled, but they weren't sure how far to take consent. So if you, you touched upon this a bit in, in, at the beginning of our conversation, but I just wanted to bring it back up because they said, you know, what if they have to change their toddler's diaper and they ask for consent and the toddler says no? Then what? <laughs> But I, I, and they, they wanted to know if you have to ask every single time you give a bath, every single time you change a diaper as a parent, how, how, how does that apply? So as a parent and the child, like in this way, I think sort of once they're speaking and they can say yes or no. So it's kind of a, you know, once they're verbal and have an understanding of mm -hmm. words, then you can say, okay, I'm just changing your diapers. You know, are you okay with that? And they go, no. And you go, okay. My job is a parent. My job is to keep you safe. That's what I do as my job. And right now you have a dirty nappy and why I'm asking to change it is to keep you clean and to keep you safe. So you, you have the right to say no, but in this case you're, you're, um, it's kind of making you unhealthy right now and my job as a parent is to keep you safe. So I'm going to clean your nappy. Are you okay with that? And I think in most cases they'll go, okay, or maybe not. Yeah. But do you see what I mean? Like you're trying to say, yeah. I have a job and my job is to keep you safe. Yeah. And sometimes that means wiping your bottom, putting nappy cream on, washing your private parts if they're really sore. That's my job to keep you safe and I, I have to do that. Mm -hmm. Just like when we're crossing the road and you don't want to hold my hand, You have to hold my hand, actually, because I'm. My job is to keep yeah. you safe, and that'll. Um, and the reason is I don't want a car to hit you. So that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see. The, yeah, I see the difference. Then, yeah, you know, just more about when they're little, the hugs and the kisses, and you know, they when they can wash their private parts, let them wash their private parts themselves. It's very empowering. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to take everything from them around their bodies. You know, I'll, and I always think to like give them choice I love the idea my my niece has two little girls and you know sometimes they're in spotty tights with stripy skirts and sometimes they're wearing funny hats and but they choose their clothes when they go to kinder and I just love it I think if you're always like putting out clothes all the pink stuff you know or all the blue stuff it's You're taking away autonomy. You're taking away age and change. Yeah. Like, would you like mm -hmm. it if 
if your partner put all your clothes out for you and told you that's what you had to wear. <laughs> Although he has better taste, but no, I wouldn't. Easy <laughs> time. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to trust parents. They know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, with yeah. consent, with body safety, there's rules. With consent, mm. it's kind of more flexible. And that's why it's very complex when we get into sexual relationships. Consent is incredibly flexible um it, it, hard to catch if you're not a mobile yes yeah. but the body safety is very straightforward but kids do need to understand that no means no yes means yes enthusiastic yes means yes um silence means no maybe means no i'm not sure means no the only thing that means yes is yes absolutely yes yeah so recognizing that when you're young will hold you in good stead when you're older. Yeah. You know, you mentioned body, that body boundary. And I I think that as a parent, sometimes we talk about kids like always being in our bubble. We don't realize, but we say that by the end of the day, we, we've been touched so much and we've been jumped on and we've been kicked and we've been <laughs> and and we we miss that sort of bubble. And I think that I always talk about uh, boundaries with parents, just having your own rules, your own set of rules. And this body boundary falls in it because if they start seeing that they, that we also need our space sometimes and that, you know, you can ask me first if you want to jump onto my back, <laughs> you know, instead of just, those are little things, they're little steps, but they're important ones because then we're showing them that it applies for us as their parents and it applies for them. You know, instead of just doing certain things to them and grabbing them, we can say like, Hey, can I have a hug? And, and, you know, that's, that's an important um, sort of thing to show it's them respectful. when they're young. It's all about, that is just being yeah, respectful exactly. of your space, but respectful of yeah. you that you can't, you're not just there to be jumped on all the time. You are a human being yeah. as well with a life <laughs> and a career and, Mothering is part of it or fathering, but, you know, respect that sometimes you're not always available to be jumped on or bitten. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my, my <laughs> younger one. <laughs> um, I had read a really interesting article a couple of months ago, and it, it spoke about the words bad and good around um, this sort of conversation with your child and that you shouldn't use the word, you know, that bad people do these bad things to you because then it could get confusing going back to your your statistic of, you know, it usually being a person in their environment, right? So it's somebody who's yeah. supposed to be good. What are your thoughts on this and how does a parent try to not use this in their vocabulary? <laughs> Definitely. I wouldn't use bad and good. Yeah. yeah you know, if you say this is bad touch, it's bringing in shame and guilt about touching their own genitals. Yeah, that too. So, and um, good touch, what's that? I mean, you know, yeah. what does that mean? This person who is doing bad things to them and is a yeah. good person because you love yeah. them. So it's all really yeah. confusing. So I only ever use safe, a safe touch, um, which doesn't bring on any of your early warning signs. It makes you feel lovely and warm. Um, you've been asked for consent. You feel cuddled up on the couch. It's it's um it's safe and unsafe is where you feel those early warning signs and something's not right and look we we also have that kind of unsafe feeling when we're excited like when a child is at the top of the slide 
it kind of is the same. And that's kind of risking on purpose and that's okay. Mm. But when, I mean, you know when you feel unsafe. A child knows when they're feeling unsafe. They get these early warning signs. So actually labelling them and saying Mm -hmm. what these feelings are is really important and also doing a lot about feelings vocab. So I feel scared. I feel anxious. I feel worried. I feel happy. I feel, uh, you know, joyful, like giving them a huge vocab so they can explain to you how they're feeling. Bad and good is just, it's just too simple and not very helpful, really. You also have a poster, right? You have a poster on your website, on the website Educate to Empower about feelings as well. I, I do. Think. Yeah, yeah. I have one which outlines a whole lot of faces and all the kinds of feelings. Yes. And there's another one where you can say what, because I have a book called Talking About Feelings, which a lot of psychologists actually use. It's a great, I really like that book. And so we might talk about you know, what color is your feeling today? Where do you feel it in your body? Is it as big as a mountain? Is it as small as a button? Is it the size of a chair? Does it make, is it fuzzy to touch, you know, talk, giving them mm-hmm. all the language to talk about their feelings. And I think it's so important for our boys, you know, if you're sad, say I'm sad or, and I love seeing, I've seen a few times where a kindergarten child um, will come up to another kindergarten child and say, you're making me feel really sad because you took my bucket and I don't, I'm not very happy about that. You know, actually verbalising rather than just running off and crying but actually saying how she was feeling. I saw it, I think I saw it on a TV show. It was so great. I thought it's cute. <laughs> I, I, I tried teaching my kids frustrated and disappointed very early on. And then they were like two and a half, three and saying like, I'm frustrated. <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, <laughs> I, now I see, you know, and at least even as a parent or an adult around them in that environment, you could understand if they're having a tantrum or they're upset about something, even just having that word to understand that it's not it's just like good and bad, right? It's like, you're not just happy or mad or, or sad. There's so much in between. There's a lot. And don't think children can't use big words because no, exactly. I know a lot of kids who know every dinosaur name. So if they can learn yes. dinosaur names, <laughs> they can learn frustrated and disappointed. Yes. So don't restrict yes. yourself with that. Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. And with emotions, the more that we model them, the yeah. more that we sort of be, take our emotions and our thoughts that are inside our mind and put them outside, externalize them, then children will understand, okay, Mommy or daddy is missing the one egg that they needed to finish making those cupcakes. And now they're frustrated because they're saying it. (laughs) Um, And that way a a child can start to do it on their own. And it comes back to everything that you said, too. The more we make things normalize things and the more we speak about things and model it, the easier it is for our children, too. Yeah, I think so. There is a little bit of a fine line there because I guess this triggers me a little because I was brought up with a very depressed mother. So she mm. would always say to me, like, she's really sad and, oh. you know, and so I think we we kind of got, even when we've got worries that are quite adult, I think it's really important to be the adult and not put those worries on children. So, yeah, I'm disappointed or I'm frustrated, yeah. but saying, you know, I feel so sad today, I can't get out of bed. You know, we want them to be children. We want them to not worry about us to uh, yeah. to that extent because that is an adult concept. So I know yeah. that, you know, in some homes 
there would be mental health issues like we all have mm-hmm. in our homes, mm-hmm. especially these days. So I yeah. think um, certainly telling them how we're feeling and stuff like that, but when it becomes that one level further, mm. we don't want them taking the burden that is an adult uh, burden. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, so keeping it at their level, never making bringing yeah. them to yours. Yeah, got yeah, it. exactly. Um, I want to make sure that I, I asked you all the questions because sure. we did get a lot of questions from parents the week that we that you collaborated with us on Instagram. One of them, I, I think, I think you already touched upon this, but public versus private space. And I, you, you also, there's going to be a blog post up on our website, and I'll, I'll put the link to it on our podcast and a link to all of your resources as well. Um, but why? It goes back to I guess the beginning where you spoke about uh, private parts. Is that where you link it with the pu- the public and the private as well? Yeah, I think so. I think when we talk about private parts with children, we say, first of all, I say private means just for you. So leaving it there. So mm-hmm. um, when you go to the toilet, say they're like three or four, that is a private space that's just for you and no one can just come in on you because that's a private space. Because perpetrators, what they might do is they might bust in on a kid in the shower, in the bath, and Mm -hmm. say, oh, sorry, you know, and I didn't know you were in here or something. But Mm -hmm. that is a private space and people need to knock or um, know that you're in there and ask consent. But then we can talk about public because public in terms of parts as well. So, you know, this arm and this nose, they are public, you know, public parts of our bodies and public places are where everyone can gather and it's great and fine. But private means just for you in terms of your body and in terms of your space. So um, we talk about the private parts being those under your bathing suit um, and the mouth as being a private part as well for obvious reasons. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's sort of they kind of do link in a way. And I think that message is pretty simple for kids to understand. And I don't think it needs to go much further than that, that private is just for you, including your private parts. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've touched upon this as well, but I'd like to elaborate for parents. The it's, I think you called it the private, um, the pirate stance, but you, you've mentioned the, the, the arm out and what is the, the pirate stance and what are, should we teach our children in a moment where they are perhaps with a perpetrator? Um, what should they do? Okay. So, um, the pirate stance or the superhero stance, um, even though I have a book about a pirate captain who's a female, but it's basically, and all adults should try this, particularly women. It's very empowering. You just stand up stand with your hands on your hips and your legs slightly apart like a superhero and you just stand there. Now, women can do that for like a minute, just standing like that. It's very empowering. But with children, we get them to stand like that and we go, stop, this is my body, it belongs to me. And you just practice it. Stop, this is my body, it belongs to me. And you might just practice it, you know, once a day or once every two weeks or whenever it comes up so that it just it gives you a really physical sense of empowerment and why it's important is because I wrote a little book called no means no and I wrote it for a little girl who was in she was five years old and I was teaching her and she was one of those little girls where 
all the boys are hovering around her, want to hold her hand, want to touch her, all just around her all the time. And I said to her, you know, you need to say stop. Do, I said, do you want them to hold your hand? And she went, no, no, I don't. I said, well, you need to say stop. This is my body, you know, what I say goes. And she could not do it. She was like this, no, no, I can't do it. And I thought, wow, if you're five years old and you can't do that, what are you going to do when you're a teenager, you know? So that's why I wrote the book No Means No. So I think practising it's great. Now, if a child is touched inappropriately, they might well. I I think I probably would have been one of these kids and I've heard about kids like this go, stop, you can't touch my body um, and go, go. But other kids might freeze. They might, um, adults freeze, for goodness sake. It's a freeze response. So they freeze and they can't do anything. So what they need to think about in that moment is this is unsafe. I need to get away as quickly as possible. Mm. I need to get to a trusted adult on my safety network straight away. So that is the default. So when you're teaching this, you don't need to go into depth with that because you want them to practice to being empowered. But you can say, you know, if it was ever hard for you, if someone touched your private parts or showed you pictures or asked you to touch their private parts, if it ever was hard and it just it was really hard to put your hand out and say stop, this is what you would do. You would come tell me straight away. You would get away as fast as you could and you'd come tell me straight away. So mm-hmm. that you, you don't want to give them that option as in, you know, you can do this or you can do this. Mm-hmm. You want to say if it happens that you can't say no, this is what you will always do. So empower away, but just say that to them as well. Because, you know, chances are that they might, but hopefully it doesn't get that far because they go, okay, you can't touch my private parts. Yeah. Which goes back to the reason why all of this is so important. Because in that moment, if you've taken the time and all these years have been talking to your child about it, Hopefully in that moment, they won't freeze. Like you said, it could happen, but hopefully they'll understand, they'll recognize the situation, they'll understand and remember what they have to do in that situation. Um, But, you know, some parents had told me that they didn't want to scare their kids. They didn't want to always talk about all these bad things. But then again, if we're removing that word bad and we're applying everything that you said in terms of empowering our child then it's not a negative thing. No. We're trying to avoid or prevent that negative thing. But in the end, we're just it's just body consent and safety, which we should all apply. Absolutely. You know, it's not just about the abuse, but it could be about people coming into your bubble. It could be a friend that's not respecting you. Exactly. It can be bullying behaviors, like they're coming exactly. up and pushing you off the slide. You can't yeah. come inside my body boundary or body bubble. You know, or they're taking your buckets, you know. No, they can't. It's It, it stops bullying behaviours as well. You are standing yeah. up for yourself. And, you know, maybe even some kids might learn to not be standby. They might also learn to say, okay, you can't do that and and take the child with them, you know, not be not standby, which is often happens in sexual assault for adults and teenagers. But mm-hmm. I just really think, like, as we've had this conversation, did we ever talk about the actual Would we ever talk to the children about the actual sex abuse of a child? No, we wouldn't. Why would we? All we've ever said is your private parts are yours. They belong to you. 
no one can touch them, no one can show you pictures. And um, if you feel unsafe or any of that happens, you tell me. We haven't gone any further. We haven't told them anything about what could happen if they're sexually abused. We've just told them no one comes inside your body bubble without you. Um, their consent and no one should touch your private parts show you pictures of private parts or it, you touch their private parts so yeah. that's as far as we've gone and yeah the rest of it is just you know helping them in like you said bullying situations giving them voice giving them some agency giving them confidence to stand up um and not become a victim yeah you're you're in Australia and I'm here in Canada, and I'd love to know the response of parents where you are when you're talking about this. Is the is it as taboo as it is here, or are they more open to these conversations? How are parents responding to it? I think it's really changed, Cindy. Like, yeah, when I started this ten years ago with my first book, Some Secrets Should Never Be Kept, I went to the local Kinder, and they just she told me to get out, like get out with that book right wow so really like, there's nothing graphic in that book anyway um but over time I think it's changed and here in my state of Victoria we have what we call the child safety standards and there's seven of them and the seventh one is um teaching body safety and respectful relationships to children it's not mandatory but currently it's going to be made Actually, it's being made mandatory now since we've had a lot of sexual assault in our parliament. We had a, a young woman who was sexually abused and raped in our parliament building by a staff. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's been horrific. And so um, it's now being made mandatory. So, and, you know, I have a teacher's resource kit which teaches body safety and respect, um, respect for relationships. And... It's got a PowerPoint for parent information. It's got a PowerPoint to in-service teachers. It's got lots of lessons and books and everything. And the local council bought 80 for all their 80 kindergartens and every four-year-old is being educated in that. So 4,000 four-year-olds are being educated in body safety. So I think it has definitely improved and um Parents, younger parents are really, really open to teaching this here in Australia, I'd be glad to say. I mean, of course I would prefer it was more, but yeah, of course, I have yeah. seen such an improvement in the last five years. Um, you know, people are wanting my books and wanting to download the, the things and wanting to talk about the topic and getting me to give talks. And so it's it's great. It's really yeah, good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that there's a change because there has to be for for the safety of the children. We have to have these conversations. Um, I I'd like to close our conversation with perhaps the signs of a child who might have been abused. You know, if you're a parent or a caregiver um, or an educator around children, you know, what should we be looking for um, in in a child? What are little signs that perhaps we should speak to somebody about it but then again I think part of that question is also what do you do as a parent or an educator or a caregiver because like you said if you bring it up they might not believe you or they might the parents might get upset and and take the child away from your own safety so what can what are the signs first and what can we do 
So there's two things here. I, I'd just like to say with the books on secrets should never be kept, 2,000 of those were put into a kit in uh, one of our state governments to go out with people who deal with children who they suspect are being sexually abused. And we'll talk about that in a sec. So when that book is read to them, they often will disclose um, because it's about another little boy in a faraway land and it's a little bit distant. So they've used that book in order to get disclosures because they they were, were worried about these children. So what I would be concerned about is um, if they're out playing lots of touching, wanting to touch other children's genitals all the time, looking under toilet doors, you know, rubbing their own genitals constantly, using language that you wouldn't ever, a child of this age would have, having more knowledge than that they, they ever should because sometimes perpetrators will use child porn, uh, I shouldn't call it porn, child sexual abuse material to show them that this is normal. So they'll know more stuff. Um, It'll be in their language, Um, you know, and when I have read the book in a class, you see them tear up, um, get very fidgety, uh, very upset, whereas the other kids, when they get written that book, a child who's never been sexually abused is just another story and they feel a lot of empathy for the little boy. So um, they'll uh, wet the bed, they'll have a sore stomach, they won't want to go to the person's place, they don't like them anymore. You might say, oh, you're going to Uncle Johnny's house, and they're like, no, I don't want to go to Uncle Johnny, I don't like Uncle Johnny. Um, Why don't you like Uncle Johnny? Or he's just, I don't, he's mean or something. Sick tummies, um, just generally things probably like that, smelling of urine or mm. body odour. Um, yeah. And out, I often think it's more that they will be outplaying what's happening to them with other children as well. Mm. That would be deeply concerning for me as an educator or a parent if I saw it in their play, yeah. that they have more sexual knowledge than they ever should have at that age. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a conversation a couple of years ago when parents were talking and thinking they were having this conversation about a child and just saying, well, he has an older sibling and just kind of like passing it off. But the way now after our conversation and, and, and learning from you, these are all red flags. These are all signs that we should perhaps have a conversation with the child or their parents yeah. at that point. Well, that's really tricky hard. because it could be the yeah. parent. So yeah. if we see something that is really worrying us, you know, you're going to get a react. It, it's a really tricky, and I don't really always have an answer for that. But I think um, I would probably go to one of your uh, sexual assault advisory organisations okay. and ask them your concerns and what are the next steps that you should take for that child because you're deeply concerned about them. That's what I would probably. We have a place here called Centre Against Sexual Assault. Um, I would ring their number and ask them what what they think. Um, there was something mm-hmm. else I wanted to say about that and it just slipped my mind. But um, mostly, oh, yes, peer on peer. So because of so much porn, I mean, by the time children, boys are 11, I can't remember what it was. Is it 80% or something have seen porn? It's massive, 11 and the younger, like some of them are seeing it at eight or ten. It's very easy. Like they mightn't have access at home, but another kid's got a phone and goes, look at this. And once you can't, 
once you say something, you can't unsay it. No. And it's it's actually very disturbing for young children because it's violent. They don't understand what's going on and it's incredibly disturbing. So if they're seeing porn, an older sibling is showing them porn or an older sibling is abusing them, they um, may start to act this out on children more their own age. Like a child who's the same age as another child is like, they can't real like they can't really sexually abuse them, but they can outplay stuff that's happening to them at home or somewhere else. So that would be a big red flag to me. And we are seeing, you know, siblings, older siblings, um, abusing younger siblings because, or because they may be being abused by some or have been abused by someone, and then they are, just, you know, power's been stripped of them. And sexual abuse of children is all about power. So power's been stripped of them, so they're just going to use the power on a younger, more vulnerable person. Yeah. Mm, but we don't want to. We don't yeah. want to scare our parents too much. We want to no. make sure that they're empowered about this. And like, I'm really proud that I work in the prevention space because it's something really positive I can do. And I'm sure, um, you know, that my books and my work has helped many children. I would hope um, we can all do that. Not just me. Like, you know, parents out there, they can say, oh, to their kindergarten group, oh, I'm teaching body safety, are you? And explain it all. Say to their neighbour, I'm teaching body safety, my child, are you? And it's really easy and this is what we do. So we can all kind of ripple effect, go out as warriors to help keep more kids be safe. I mean, I don't want to do it alone. You don't want to do it alone. Like, <laughs> go forth and, and be warriors for children. <laughs> And and that is really what, you know, my whole goal with you this entire time has been to try to reach out to as many people as, as possible, as you have been doing. And I, I'm hoping to reach out to my community, too, and everybody who listens to the podcast and follows us on Instagram, because the more conversations we had, and like you said, even with just with neighbors saying, yeah, I started the, the body yeah. safety conversation. And then they might say, what? <laughs> and then that's how you kind of just get it going and start yeah. talking about it and make it normal and natural to speak about that. And, and that's how it'll become more comfortable for all of us, I think. And, and remember that perpetrators hide behind our fear and our, our fear of this mm. topic. So the more we feel less about the topic and we empower our children, the more there's less, there are fewer places for them to hide. So mm. bringing it out into the open, you know, makes them very fearful, which is what yes. we <laughs> Good, exactly. Where can we find you? Where can we find more information? Where can we buy your books? <laughs> okay, so you're in Canada. Okay, so the best place, um, we are opening a US store, but mostly for um, the US and the UK. People buy um, my books on Amazon, um, and but you can buy them through my website, which is Educate to Empower Publishing. So Educate with the numeral two. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, E2E, so an E2E publishing.info, that's the website. Follow me on Instagram, you've got that, Janine Sanders author and also E2E publishing. Um, download whatever you like from the website, tell your friends about it. I have a free back-to-school pack as well for any book teachers returning back to school, so there's lots of things about feelings and anxiety in that. That's free free book about I'm calm which is about stressful times during COVID but yes you can get the books um on Amazon just google if you just google Janine Sanders so J-A-Y-N-W-E-N Sanders 
you should find me. I will add all those links to the page on on, on the podcast episode and um, every single link because I think it's important that I don't want parents to have to look for it. I don't want to have parents to, to figure out. I want it to be easy to access so that they could print all the posters and, and start the conversation right away. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Well, I want to thank you for inviting me to speak about this and for you know, opening this conversation. I want to thank you so much. You've been just wonderful, Cindy. So thank, thank you. you. I hope we chat again soon. Exactly. <laughs>